Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Influence. Hey, Joss. Hi, Jen. How are you? I'm really well. How are you? I'm good. It is Halloween, so it's a spooky day. No, it's not really spooky, but I'm good. <laughs> we are recording this on Halloween, even though this is not coming out on Halloween. Um, but just spoiler: we don't record live. Spoiler: <laughs> we, we yeah we we record at three a.m. and then they come out at five a.m. and that's just the schedule of our lives. Yeah. Um, no, that's ridiculous. Um, but Josh, it's been a couple weeks since we've we've recorded, and we're super stoked for today's episode because as we continue. The Women of Influence series. We have a guest that we've actually already had on this season, the uh, season two of Influence, but we thought it was really important to include her in our Women of Influence series because she actually inspired us to start the series. Um, yeah, Chas, I'm excited. I'm excited too. I'm always, I mean, like Jen said, and we were just telling this to our guest right before we started recording. But once we had this episode, which everyone I'm sure knows based off of the title, but once we had um, this episode, um, the first episode she was on, we left that conversation just being so inspired. And we were like, these are the type of conversations we need to have. And I, I mean, I can speak for both Jen and myself that we are so excited to bring her back. So should I just should I just get into it, Jen? Let's get into it. Okay. So we are proud to welcome back. Asha Daya, an author, tech talk speaker, founder of GirlTalkHQ.com, and board member of the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. She has delivered keynote addresses for organizations such as Accenture, UCLA, and March for Moms. And through her work, Asha focuses on reproductive rights, gender equality, and the representation of women in media. Hi, Asha. Jen and Joss, it's so good to be back. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Thanks for coming back. Like, I think we were we were definitely fortunate to have you the first time we had you on. So super excited to continue the conversation um, in this episode. So Asha, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So can you tell us what a day in your life is like these days? I know you're really busy. <laughs> Yeah, I am a mom of two kids, age three and five. So every day there's school runs and school pickups. Um, I'm also a filmmaker and producer. So I'm in the middle of um, a crowdfunding campaign for one of my projects right now. And then just juggling daily life leading up to the midterms. And so I'm always, you know, working on girltalkhq.com and sharing articles and blog posts and profiles of incredible women. So it's just a mixture of like life, career, and honestly, the most spooky thing right now, I know you mentioned Halloween, Joss, is that I'm hoping one of my kids doesn't bust in this door behind me and starts making noise while I'm recording this podcast. So <laughs> that's, that's a day in the life of me, pretty much. It'll be very organic if it happens, you know, like a true day in your life. Exactly, we, we, exactly. We've had a number of guest dogs, guest children, guest significant <laughs> others. Like we, so it's 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 the day in the life of the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Real yeah. life people, real life. Yeah, exactly. Nothing we haven't seen. Um, so you know what's interesting is that now that you're back, we there's a lot of things that we want to ask you and talk to you about that we didn't have a chance to in our first conversation. Our first conversation was very straightforward. It was to a specific point, and I would love to give the give our listeners an opportunity to better know you. And that leads me to this question: Is what sparked this passion for reproductive rights and gender equality? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it's something I think about a lot because if I could tell my 10-year-old self, like, hey, you're going to be doing these things, I would have been like, what? What even is that? Um, I do women not have equality? Um, and then I would grow up to know that, no, we do not in many ways. Um, so I think the thing that sparked specifically with reproductive rights and freedom was growing up in a conservative religious environment and getting married for the first time at 24 and being part of a church where gender roles are very, very strict and, you know, in, enforced in a lot of ways. And there's no sense of autonomy or freedom or, you know, women carving, carving out their own paths. It's just, this is, these are the expectations of women to become mothers and wives and don't be too ambitious. And, you know, the men are the head of the household and very patriarchal ideas. And, you know, as I grew older and a lot of women around me would kind of push back against that. And it would start to just like, in the back of my mind, like needle at my own brain thinking like, yeah, this is not right. That's not right. Um, and then with reproductive rights specifically, I ended up going through a divorce. So that marriage did not turn out very well at all. I made the decision to leave. Best decision I made. Very difficult decision because I was in an environment where they dis discouraged people from getting divorced, it, even to the point where people would, they would counsel people to stay in abusive marriages, which was really, really toxic and unhealthy. So after I left, you know, I, I started to form my opinions on a lot of different political and social issues outside of the bounds of this conservative religious community that I was part of. And I realized that for the first time when I was making choices for myself, I realized I was probably more progressive and liberal and, you know, was interested in social justice and wanted to learn more about human rights and feminism and things like that. And so one of the things that I'd learned being part of my former church was, oh, you have to be anti-abortion and anti-gay. And I never had really formed a specific opinion on those things other than what I was taught. So leaving that church and forming my own opinions for the first time, I was like, oh, actually, I think the opposite of what this church taught me. And so slowly I would put my opinions out there on social media and conversations and um, specifically in relation to abortion and reproductive rights. And I would get pushback um, publicly from people from my former church, which I kind of expected, but privately was a very different story. In fact, I had women from my former church reach out to me and say, oh, thank you for sharing that article on Facebook. Um, I can't really tell anyone this, but I've actually had an abortion and it was for whatever reason, not that anyone has to justify themselves to me, but they felt they had to. Or there were some women who had had multiple abortions and they felt so much fear and shame around not being able to tell anyone and for some reason, they felt solace in me because I'd been sharing articles that were, you know, affirming people of their own and the right to make their own decisions about their bodies. And I talked about this in my TEDx talk and how it really forced me to rethink, well, what do I want to do with my almost two decades of media background? And I realized I have an opportunity to bring together my personal background and my media experience and, you know, use the platforms that I have to amplify the stories and, and voices of women and people who have gone through potentially similar experiences that I have and want to share their stories with the world. And so reproductive rights really became an issue for me because of those, the things that I'd seen publicly, which was, you know, one image and behind the scenes, it was a completely different story. And I really wanted to explore that juxtaposition. It was so bizarre to me. And then becoming a mom really reinforced that Reproductive autonomy and freedom is so paramount to our lives and bodies and 
there's just no question in my mind that we should all have it. So that's why I'm so passionate about it. I imagine also being a mom, like you want to create a narrative and you want to create a world for that where your kids and your daughter doesn't have to have all of the issues and all the problems that so many people are having. And I think so many parents can can relate to that and can just want that that better future, right? Um, so you continue to speak about, you know, to fight for what's right. And I can imagine it's emotionally and mentally draining to continue to do that. I mean, I know you're so passionate about it. So I know passion definitely feels in so many ways, but I can imagine that's that's quite draining when you're trying to get a message across to people who, may, who potentially may not listen. So have, how have you dealt um, finding your voice on social media? And like, do you find it's a bit oversaturated? Yeah, that's a great question too. I, I get fatigued almost every day from social media, especially when there's it's, you know, we're in a lead up to midterm elections right now here in the US. And so there is so much content, so many opinions and so many TikTok videos, everything's being shared. And, um, and a lot of it is really good information. But I think for me, I've learned that I don't have to be heard by everybody. If I have something that I want to say, quality is better than quantity. So if there's something that I want to say that I really feel that I want to share it, I'll share it. But I don't, now I, I realize that I don't have to share every day and, and compete with everyone. It's just, and a lot of that comes from figuring out what my voice is, you know, what my lane is, what my niche is and all of those things. But, I, and I think the pandemic has also enabled people to be like, it's okay to take a step back from social media. I don't have to post anything and everything all the damn time. And you know, just take those mental health breaks, which are really, really important because there's so much going on in the world that we can always feel overwhelmed and just where do we go? Where do we start? How do we take action? And so it's just a constant reminder to myself, what am I passionate about? What can I do? I can't do everything. So do what I can in the moments that I'm able to. And then because I I have a schedule with kids, you know, at certain times of the day, I'm like, that's it. I've got to step away from my computer or my phone and I'm just focused on family stuff. And then I'm able to go back to it when I have that time. So it's priority prioritizing my time and recognizing that I don't have to be on social media all the time and say, you know, share an opinion on everything that's happening. And so, yeah, it's a lot though. I have a love-hate relationship with social media. I work in social media oh and <laughs> it is so hard and especially when there are serious conversations like this, like you are fighting for women's rights, essentially. And I I see a lot of people like stuff, share it. And then I think that's great because it shows up on my feed and I'm reminded like, hey, this is happening in the world. But at the same time, I also see people that are like, we have to do more. Like what is a like, what is a share? Like do something of substance. So like to you, do you feel like social media and like, sharing something or liking something, does that hold any weight? Is that helping? Is that really making a difference? And there's no right or wrong answer. I'm just, you know, we're curious. I think I'm constantly thinking about this a lot too, because I feel guilty sometimes like I need to do more. Am I doing enough? But one of the things that I drew comfort from in terms of this question specifically was hearing uh, and reading from activists in Iran recently and people on the ground there who were saying, please keep sharing our stories. The best thing that people can do right now, share our stories, amplify our videos, 
you know, share these hashtags and get more people sharing. So in that context, you know, it feels like, okay, this is the power of social media, that we can share these stories, raise awareness. In other contexts, maybe it means physically going out to vote or going to the streets. I think it just depends on the situation. So I wouldn't discount social media at all. And I, I think there are things that are being shared on social media that are able to raise awareness about an issue that people didn't know about before. I don't know if you saw, there was a recent viral um, article on The Guardian where these doctors from the Maya network examined actual tissue from uh, an embryonic sac from a pregnancy and they said this is what a pregnancy looks like at six weeks, at eight weeks, at nine weeks and it just looked like a blob of tissue and there were a couple of really prominent feminist journalists who made a TikTok video and said hey, everyone, you know when they you know when they make these bills about banning abortion at six weeks, this is what they're banning. And this little bit of tissue um, and the, the embryo at that point is so, so tiny, you cannot see it. You have to literally look at it under the microscope of an ultrasound machine. And so, you know, Jessica Valenti, who was the journalist, saying this is what they're giving more rights to when they ban abortion and saying you don't have the right to make that decision. And so many people got so enraged, like, that's not what a pregnancy looks like. Like it has fingers and toes and all this kind of stuff. But through this um, virality of the video on social media, people were realizing, oh, we've been accustomed to hearing propaganda and not just in text, but in images of what a, a quote unquote baby looks like at a certain number of weeks in a pregnancy that that's just become the norm. So when we see actual tissue from an actual pregnancy that's been you know, put under a microscope and put in an article on The Guardian and been verified by doctors and all of this stuff. It's it's almost shocking, but it's so necessary because now we can be like, all right, this is what it really means to ban an abortion at six weeks or seven weeks. And this is what it really, really looks like. And so in that sense, social media can be a really great way of raising awareness and cutting through the noise in a way that a, a boring live stream on C-SPAN about a, you know, a hearing on a bill, no one wants to watch, no, who's going to watch that, you know? So there is definitely a role that social media plays in raising awareness and pushing uh, important issues forward. So I feel like you're starting to already answer this question a little bit, but we wanted to ask you, since we last spoke, have there been any updates regarding abortion rights in, like since then, which I think was like in the summer, in August or July? Yeah, so, well, Roe v. Wade has been overturned, which is, you know, it, uh, horrific, and it's, it's, the ramifications are going to be felt for years to come, and not just in the United States, but remember that the world is watching what is happening here, and, you know, people are, anti-choice groups overseas are potentially taking cues and saying, okay, like, how can we follow that playbook, and that's a really terrifying thing to think about. Um, and it's not, it hasn't just stopped there. In the United States, they are looking at, the Republicans are trying to introduce a national 15-week, <coughs> excuse me, um, a 15-week abortion ban, you know. And so when they said, oh, look, let's just overturn Roe v. Wade and it's going to go back to the States, it's going to be great, guys, trust me. No, no one should have trusted them because they're not going to stop at that. They want to keep going further. The midterm's coming up next week on on November the 8th, Um Abortion is on the ballot in five states, California, Michigan, Montana, Kentucky, and Vermont. Um, and so those are really, really important ballot measures to pay attention to because, 
it could potentially enshrine a, the right to abortion and contraceptives in a state constitution or potentially overturn it, which is going to have horrific uh, impact on everyday people. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot going on. And the, the journalist I mentioned before, Jessica Valenti, subscribe to her newsletter. It's called Abortion Every Day, where she literally lists all the articles, all the bills, everything that's happening in regards to um, abortion news. And honestly, I open the email every day and I read the list and, you know, the little blurb paragraph she puts together and it makes me so enraged. But I'm so thankful for the work that she's doing because it makes you realise, oh, this issue hasn't gone away. It's going to keep being an issue in this country as long as people don't fight for it. These anti-choice bills are going to be passed. And so the best thing that we can do is is share uh, share articles, raise our voice, donate whenever we can, and just keep on the ball because the minute we drop the ball, that's when you know these anti-choice conservatives are going to have success, and we don't we don't want to see that anymore. Now is the time to fight back and just never take our foot off the gas pedal, so to speak, uh, but also take mental health breaks because that's important too. So, yes, lots happening. So speaking of keeping your um, keeping your eye on the ball. That is not the saying. Keeping the ball, keeping the ball, the balls, the ball's there. Keeping, keeping the, the ball's ball. in the air. <laughs> in the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of that, <laughs> um, you have an incredible Kickstarter campaign that it all ties back to this. So can you share what this project is about? Yes. Yeah, so I'm currently running a Kickstarter campaign for my short documentary called Someone You Know. Um, it is a short documentary. The tagline is Three Women, Three Decisions, One Hostile Landscape. It's about women who had abortions later in their pregnancy and the numerous barriers they had to overcome to get the care they needed. Um, these stories are complex, they are heartbreaking, they're intimate, they're personal, but they're so necessarily no, they're so necessary more now than ever. Um, it's funny because I started making this documentary in 2020 during COVID with the initial goal of releasing it before the presidential election that year. That didn't happen. Timelines and budgets shifted. I ended up spending most of 2021 looking for an editor and deciding what I wanted to do, like how I wanted the film to look visually and how I wanted to share these stories. And I started applying for grants and I was able to just kind of take my time in shaping the film um, now that I didn't have to quickly put it out before the the 2020 election. And so here I am today. I have a trailer finished. I have a poster designed. I was able to get money from a few, a handful of small grants to get this far. And now I decided to launch a Kickstarter campaign to one, put the idea out there and put the project out there for more people to know that, hey, it's coming. And two, to raise money for post-production funds, specifically music licensing, sound design and color correction and a little bit of editing. Um, and animation, which is probably the biggest expense. Um, so I'm raising money for all of those things. The campaign finishes on November 8th, which is the same day as the midterm. So it kind of feels like a good coincidence, I guess. And, you know, I'm really hoping to build awareness around this project, around the need to foster more empathy um, when talking about later abortion specifically. And my goal is to release the film on June 24th, 2023, which will be the one-year anniversary of Roe being overturned. And, you know, I, I'm hoping it can continue these conversations and be a tool for advocacy for nonprofits, for activist organisations, and just a way to foster empathy. I think storytelling has a unique way of cutting through the noise and really bringing people face-to-face -face with 
the personal aspect of such a big issue like abortion. Um, and so that's what someone you know is all about. That's what the title indicates, that people who get abortions are people that you and I know and love and go to work with and school with and live with and all of those things. And so I'm hoping that anyone listening who believes in this issue and wants to find a way to take action on a social impact project beyond voting and beyond donating to directly to organisations, which we should do if we can, I hope that people will consider supporting the Kickstarter and helping me reach my goal so that I can finish this film and, and share it with the world. And we'll put the link to the Kickstarter in the bio for the episode. So um, if you're watching this, just click below in the episode details and you'll find it. Um, and, and Asha, you know, I think it's fantastic that you chose to do this animated because it's the kind of thing that like it, it would be so hard to put faces to explain the whole story. And, and that's the, the beauty of animation. Like I work in film, Joss has worked in film as well. We both know where, where, you're, where you're coming from with that choice. I'm wondering why you specifically chose to do it animated. Yeah, I, you know, I initially I had no idea how expensive animation would be, but I still stand by my decision. And I think because when we shot the initial round of interviews, they were all shot on an iPhone during COVID. All these interviews were done remotely. We did the interviews via Zoom and they had the iPhones set up in their lounge room with a little lighting, uh, like a little ring light. So all of the interviews are just one shot. There's no, you know, different multiple angles. We didn't get to fly out there with a big crew and a couple of cameras and do B-roll and, you know, make all this beautiful documentary footage that you'd normally see um, in a documentary. And so my thought was, well, I can either raise more money and go back and film these interviews and shoot more B-roll or do reenactments, or I can, you know, animate these scenes. And the reason why I chose animation was because of the artistic way that you can interpret aspects of the story. So for instance, you know, when one of the women, let's say Valerie, the, one of the storytellers says she's going, she went to visit her doctor and got an ultrasound and then she got bad news. You know, you could do that as a reenactment or you could use animation to you know, potentially show a woman in a room with a doctor, but then you could show different colors or textures. You could show a butterfly, which is what we're doing. Um, and, you know, just use different artistic interpretations of the emotions that she's trying to convey. And so I really love the idea that animation can kind of make you think outside the box and help audiences understand the emotion of that moment in the story, um, probably more so than a reenactment could specifically for this film, because abortion stories are, are much more complex than what a reenactment can show, I feel. You know, it's it almost feels like clinical and potentially a bit boring just to show someone sitting in a waiting room or signing a form, but with animation you can show colours and text on screen and, you know, different shapes and, and things to convey the emotion and the story. So that's, in a, in a long-winded nutshell, that's why I chose animation and the team that I've been working with who are based out of Brazil um shout out to Brazil who just voted out their right-wing government by the way um they are phenomenal artists and they've you you can see the trailer at the end of my campaign video they have just done some incredible work and they are passionate about the issue and so I'm really really thrilled to be working with them and I'm so glad I chose animation for this film as well so you'll see real footage of the women and it'll be mixed with animation so a bit of both 
I think that's so incredible, and I'm so excited for it. And I think that this is a really interesting take that you're doing animation for this because I agree with everything you said. It's so it it's such a serious topic, and it makes it a little bit more digestible for people this way. Um, but you know, Asha, you are constantly, constantly fighting this fight, and you are putting in so much work and you're touching so many different platforms and you're doing so many different things. I know you have a ton ahead of you, but what's next? So after, you know, the Kickstarter campaign ends this week, what are next steps, whether it be with the, um, with the film or whether it be with what else you're doing in your life? Yeah. So I'm hoping to reach my goal or even exceed my goal by November 8th. Uh, on that same day, I will be voting for the midterms. I'm here in California. Um, but beyond that, I'm going to start storyboarding and sketching out the scenes with my animator, Marcita. Um, and hopefully we'll have at least a rough idea of what the entire 20 minutes of the film will look like this side of, you know, the end of the year. And so then we'll go into January and February and really start um putting the digital animation to life. Um, so I want to have the storyboard finished before the end of the year. I want to finish the Kickstarter campaign successfully and just really get into production for anyone who works in media, like you both were saying. It, it You know, sometimes we have to spend a lot of money and time and energy raising money and getting support and doing outreach and all those things which are super important. But I think as creatives... We just want to be doing the creating. And so that's that's probably the most exciting part that I can look forward to. And I'm keeping that goal in my mind so that I don't get bogged down with the everyday, like, refresh that Kickstarter page. Who's donating now? It's like, nope, we're just going to put it all out there, let the universe do its thing. And I'm going to put my heart and soul out there with my own emotions about this film and this campaign and, and just hope that I can begin work on it and continue important conversations. So... Uh, And then I'm also going to Australia at the end of the year for the first time in three years with my husband and kids to um, just see my family and spend uh, Christmas and New Year's there. And I'm really looking forward to that. So, and it feels crazy that it's already, well, uh, you know, as we're recording this end of October and the end of the year is almost here. So that's a little scary to think, but here we are. Here we are. Right. I said that earlier today. I was like, we're, we're talking November now and like, it's crazy. Uh, I was just on. I was just on vacation, and like where I was, they're putting up Christmas decorations. A bunch of my work stuff is like, yeah, we're gonna push that into the new year. And I'm like, what? When did this happen? And um, then it's gonna be summer again. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. We know it. Oh my gosh. Right. Right. Um, well, Asha, thank you so much once again for continuing to inspire Joss and I. Like, I think we just love hearing what you have to say because you really inspire us to take a passion project and really make it happen and advocate for it through the mediums that we know how. So um, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast once again. Well, thank you both for having me. And I look forward to sharing the film with you next year once it's done. And yeah, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to share about my um, my passion and my projects. Of course. Thank oh. you for doing what you do because, you know, it's so important. And if you don't do it or, if, I mean, if we don't do it, if, if, if people listening don't take action for stuff they believe in, um, who else is going to? So I think it's so incredible that you're doing this. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. If not, if not me, then who? And same with <laughs> you both. If not you, then who? So yeah. here we are. 
Exactly. We continue to learn from the example that you set. So I absolutely love that. And to our listeners, thank you all so much for listening to um, another episode of our Women of Influence series. We love having this series and having great conversations. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Influence. As always, please find us on Instagram and TikTok at InfluenceThePod and leave us a podcast review on your favorite podcasting platform. See you next week.